everybody, and welcome to Canary Cry Radio. My name is Basil. And this is Gons. Here, here. we are. <laughs> yes, we are. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, uh, thanks for tuning in, guys. We got a we got a pretty fun episode. Um it it was a little bit well, I guess I guess we do all sorts of crazy stuff, so saying something isn't normal doesn't really count. Um but we we have two great guests on at uh different times. There we talked to Doug Woodward uh for about an hour, maybe a little a uh, little bit over an hour, and then overlapping that, we got the the great Anthony Patch tunes in and we just are really all over the place we got we got wars and rumors of wars and then we talk about uh guns your new book yeah it was a good conversation i think um it's it's actually the first time i had really gone into discussion about the book uh, at this level and it was cool to have um doug woodward and anthony patch here obviously uh josh peck who's the other author of the book uh couldn't make the conversation he's He's just way, way too popular now. I, I, we can't. Um, he's he's kind of gone to stardom. Um, yeah, don't don't forget about the little guys, Josh. Yeah, yeah, Pecker. What's going on? But uh, yeah. that's that's our that's our public thing to Josh. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hope that that uh, nickname doesn't catch on. So mm, everybody, no. uh, the <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know any uh, any quick updates here before we uh, jump into the conversation. You'll notice we we don't start the conversation as we normally do with a with a lot of hullabaloo and uh, and grandeur. We just kind of s- just sneak right into it, so that'll be fun. Yeah, it's like um, uh, we're trying a new thing. The conversation is just a giant wheel, uh, Basil. The, the, it's and we just jump on and and. We have the conversation, and then we're done. We jump off. You got really excited to give <laughs> that little comment, didn't you? <laughs> There's like a whole new excitement in your voice that I had not heard in a long time. Uh, um, so anyways, there you go. It's going to be fun. A uh, couple of things. Make sure to tune into Canary Cry News Talk. We're going to be talking more uh, this week about everything going on. Uh, a lot of the stuff you've heard and much of it that you haven't. Um Oh, let me, uh, let me let me just make this uh, official here on the podcast first. My wife, Erin, is at, at the recording of this recording. Uh, she is halfway through her pregnancy. We are having a little baby girl due in March. Yeah, so I'm, I'm fighting the new world order. Yep. And this one's going to be named Basil. I couldn't get Josh. <laughs> no, couldn't couldn't get Josh Peck to name his kid after me. But Gons surely, we've already had this surely, conversation. You, sure, you I laid know. out a whole scenario for her already. But now I'm now I'm putting it on the record. Oh gosh. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. By the way, everybody, uh, little little tiny baby her, she, girl she's Basil. She's going to be named. She's going to be. I don't remember the exact name, but she's going to be the well, the. Uh, I was going to tell you. <laughs> Okay, go on. Go, go on okay, with your no, thing. No, 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 no. I want to hear your thing. Okay, well, okay. It's your baby. You get to make up whatever you want about it. <laughs> well, uh, her name is going to be, uh, as of now, it could change, I suppose, but uh, we've landed on Kaya Leon Shimura. So, there you have it. Kaya There you Leon. go. And, and Le- um, she... <laughs> Leon like lion? Sure. Uh, our discussion, your scenario, makes her the, uh, what, apocalypse queen or something yeah i kind of imagined her like uh, a, a, you know by the time she comes of age um 
there's already going to be nuclear wars and there's going to be, you know, the Mad Maxian apocalyptic uh, wasteland. Guns, you're going to be hooked up to like some sort of crazy, like uh, post apocalyptic uh, device keeping you alive, like way longer than you need to. And your, your daughter is going to become the. Uh, the, the queen of the wasteland and she's gonna have a katana and it's a whole thing <laughs> it took about a three hour dinner to really explain the to whole nail thing, down the whole scenario it's there but it's gonna be cool um and i'm gonna be long gone by then so <laughs> <laughs> something bad Uncle happens Basil to me. prophesied and <laughs> You can blame yeah, yeah. him because he... I think that's the point. Is I need to be dead in order for this <laughs> prophecy to work. And, All right. Anyway, take your name in honor. Okay. So anyway, that that's a thing. Yeah. Uh, big news, I guess. But that's um, some people have known. But I just you know, I, did, I'll make it official get... to the Canary Cry audience. Uh, yeah. Did you get permission to make this official, or she uh, just doesn't yeah. listen to the show? So you're no, not no. She, get in trouble. she said it's fine. She okay. Said it's fine. I mean, what's she gonna do? Like, yeah, right? I mean, what is she even going to do? <laughs> I mean, what I don't is know. she going to do? It's fine. No, you're in, tr- you're in big trouble, guys. I'm not okay. in big trouble. All right, oh, everybody. <laughs> here we go. Let's, let's right. get into this. All right. We're all going off the rails here. Like we always do. I think that tastes, odors, colors, and so on reside in consciousness. Hence, if the living creature were removed, all these qualities would be annihilated. Now that's a stunning claim. Could Galileo be right? Could we really be misinterpreting our experiences that badly? What does modern science have to say about this? Well, neuroscientists tell us that about a third of the brain's cortex is engaged in vision. When you simply open your eyes and look about this room, billions of neurons and trillions of synapses are engaged. Now this is a bit surprising because to the extent that we think about vision at all, we think of it as like a camera. It just takes a picture of objective reality as it is. Now there is a part of vision that's like a camera. The eye has a lens that focuses an image on the back of the eye where there are 130 million photoreceptors. So the eye is like a 130 megapixel camera. But that doesn't explain the billions of neurons and trillions of synapses that are engaged in vision. What are these neurons up to? Well, neuroscientists tell us that they're creating, in real time, all the shapes, objects, colors, and motions that we see. It feels like we're just taking a snapshot of this room the way it is, but in fact, we're constructing everything that we see. And here's the kicker. When I have a perceptual experience that I describe as a brain, or neurons, I am interacting with reality. But that reality is not a brain or neurons, and it's nothing like a brain or neurons. And that reality, whatever it is, is the real source of cause and effect in the world. Not brains, not neurons. Brains and neurons have no causal powers. They cause none of our perceptual experiences and none of our behavior. Brains and neurons are a species-specific set of symbols, a hack. Perhaps reality is some vast interacting network of conscious agents, simple and complex, that cause each other's conscious experiences. But, But here's the point. 
Once we let go of our massively intuitive but massively false assumption about the nature of reality, it opens up new ways to think about life's greatest mystery. I bet that reality will end up turning out to be more fascinating and unexpected than we'd ever imagined. This is Canary Cry Radio. Look, Douglas Woodward. Yes, uh, <laughs> I remember hearing of these these fantastical days, these days of fairy tale when the U.S. and Russia were at war. And like, it just everything was Russia. And Russia this, and Russia that, and Russians are the bad guys. And, and you know, I've actually been kind of thinking it's been hilarious over the past few months because uh, people s- s- like Hillary Clinton, Russia's ha- hacking us. Russia's being mean to me. <laughs> R- Russia doesn't want me to be president. Russia's messing up. Russia loves everybody else but me. Yeah, you said that, you know, a few weeks ago, and then now it's just re- like over-the-top ridiculous. I know. It's out of control. And now they're talking about Russia being like an actual threat again. I'm like, in my head, I'm thinking that they're just they're just trying to send us back to this weird retro... Uh, Spark fears fe- in the nostalgia like, of the, the, yeah, the Cold it's War. Like re- it's retro fear. Retro That's fear. That's what yeah, I'm now exactly, calling yeah. it. Retro fear. That, I like that. We'll call it that. Yeah, Basil coined a term. Woo! <laughs> okay, so tell, give me the lowdown. What's going on right now? Because I think it's very silly. It's it, it, unfortunately it, it's real serious. It's real serious. the um, The world is uh, is at the brink, and if you lived anywhere other than the United States, you would know that now. But America's mainstream media, MSM, mainstream media chooses to keep Americans pretty much in the dark. All they want to talk about is how many women that that Donald Trump has groped, and um, they want to talk about how meaningless the email server issues are with Hillary. And uh, the mainstream media, um, you know, is just kind of putting a damper on the whole discussion about the threat of nuclear war. And uh, the reality is that, you know, we talk a lot about October surprises uh, in before the election to sort of shift the thinking. And uh, many are saying uh, I had published an article just a week or so ago talking about I kind of wimped out and said I thought that the uh, attack on America could happen or the war itself maybe either or both could happen before the inauguration but you know others are saying it could happen before the election and I kind of thought that was a possibility too but but I didn't quite want to say that right so um but what Would really that- is would that fit, would that fit into the whole theory that Obama would uh, try to suspend the elections? Yeah, yeah, it would. It would fit into that theory. Um, oh, it would at least uh, tip things in favor of Hillary saying, "See there, I told you, the Russians really are our enemies, <laughs> and we and we need to go to war with them." And uh, but you've had things like the head of the Department of the Armor. Uh, army about a week and a half ago he he basically got on a podium and started pounding the podium and said we will beat you worse than anyone has yeah. ever beaten yeah that was and oh that was that, that, was, was, ridiculous. that was amazing wasn't it that was uh, the it was head incredible. of the army 
incredible. Yeah, uh, and then and then and then for the encore, we had uh, we had Vice President Joe Biden with this little glib yeah. smile face, unbelievable. Basically, say at a time of our choosing, we will commence a um, cyber attack on you, Russia, and. Right. Maybe and you know, and Hillary adds that, and maybe we'll actually use military power too. You know what right drives now. me crazy? Sorry, Amazing. I have to. I have to say oh, this. Right. It drives Jump me in. crazy because he's saying that it's it's this kind of top secret thing, and like he hopes the people don't know about it. Yet right. he's there telling everybody, <laughs> including well, Russia, that, was, that he's that doing the, it, and it's the most ridiculous <laughs> thing I have ever seen in my life. I'm sorry. Well, continue. So. You know, there's, yeah, well, it's okay. I just gonna say, really you got know, you worked up there. God. <laughs> I'm sorry. It, well, it, it, you know, it is, it's maddening because you've got Hillary and you got Joe, you got the head of the army all threatening Russia because of why, because they assume that Russia, you know, and maybe they have some evidence and, and, you know, what, what is it that Russia did? Russia hacked the DNC and published the fact that Hillary stole the election from Bernie. By yep. the way, that is not a conspiracy theory. That Stanford. is established fact. It's in the news. Everyone knows it's true. Uh, Bertie made a deal with the devil, and whatever it is that they gave him, you know, really what I think it was, was that Bernie was always meant to be just, you know, a, um, what's the right term, just kind of in-name only, sort of, uh, you know, someone to run against Hillary. So right. it was little interesting, you know, and lo and behold, uh, you millennials got behind Bernie Sanders and, and he actually won the uh, nomination and took it from you. You millennials. That's you millennials. <laughs> <laughs> they ripped it. They ripped it away from him. And, you know, and, and they, you know, basically sat Bernie down and said, you know, Bernie, this has really gotten out of hand. You were never supposed to win this thing. And I'm sure we've seen movies like that, too, don't you think? You know, where the guy that was supposed to just be sort of a, you know, a stooge, you know. Yeah. That he actually like, turned into a real, the real winner, you know, like Airbud. <laughs> yeah, was it Airbud? Yeah, I was going to say there's a couple of movies that have that have that have gone down that path. So, so here we are. We and I, of course, I've written you know a number of books as as Gons, you know, hears me talk about too much probably, but um, uh, you know, one of the books is the next great war in the Middle East. I, I wrote another book a year ago, uh, Basil that that had a very uh, very discreet title is Russia destined to nuke the United States, mm, and tasteful. very discreet, very tasteful, very discreet, and. Um, you know, and, it, and and everything I said in there turns out that I was right um, uh, regarding what was going on with Crimea, the Ukraine, uh, the fact that the Russian military was kind of a sleeping giant, that they were focusing all their money on on advanced nuclear weapons and on missile defense, and uh, and that the United States would end up being so vulnerable to nuclear attack that uh, that Russia would commit a first strike and essentially destroy the United States, and we would have almost no response. Um, yeah. And so, you know, that's, that's it, happened. That's, what, that's where we are. And it doesn't seem to be something that they're very afraid of. I was just listening to, uh, oh, what's his name? Not Putin, but the, the other guy in charge over there. Sergei Lavrov? Yeah, I believe that was him. I don't know if he's the, like foreign minister or yeah, I believe, yeah, so, he's like number like two. No, he's like number two guy. 
Yeah, and he was being interviewed about, you know, the the threats from Biden and did they do the cyber attacks? And he says, there is no fact that we committed. <laughs> and they're like, yes, yeah, so, so, and then he says, like, or the interviewee, uh, interviewer says, so you, uh, you deny doing the thing. And he says, no, 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 we did not, we do not deny. It is up to them to provide facts. And they're like, well, <laughs> well, well, what happens if, uh, not sure if you got to dig out the bullet to prove that he got shot by me. <laughs> Right. And then, and then they say, uh, well, do you fear that the U.S. cyber attack? He basically says, bring it on. And then, <laughs> like, just no fear. He's just like, yeah, do it. Come on, Biden. Let's see it, boy. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's getting pretty heated. Got children out there in the playground arguing over, uh, you know, which dad has the biggest set of. <laughs> right. Exactly. You got to that point, so, so pardon me if I offended anyone, but uh, that's what has come down to. I'm afraid. Yeah, so, no, absolutely. Yeah, so so um, so we we sit right now, and this article I just found that my friend Doug Riggs sent me um, in published in Forbes today. The U.S. Um, actually, this was no, this was actually published. Looks like it was published over a year and a half ago. I just noticed. Yeah. Found it apparently in the Senate from March 20th, 2015. The title was The U.S. Has No Defense Against, Against a Russian Nuclear Attack. Really? Hey, that's absolutely true. And that's, you know, there's two things that, that make the nuclear war thing really scary. One is that Russia sincerely does have not just more, but newer, far newer uh, missiles. Uh, than we do. Um, that's number one. Uh, and number two is that when it comes to defense, the United States has less than 100 anti-ballistic missiles, maybe only like 75, something like 20 out there in California and about 50 in Alaska. And that's it. That's all we have. We have essentially no defense. We have no civil defense. There are no bunkers. The Russians a week ago pulled off a 40 million citizen drill to get them into the bunkers that the government has built for them over the past 20, 30 years. Where's, where's, the, where's our bunkers for uh, in case something like that happens? Don't have bunkers. We have football stadiums uh, okay. and we have basketball arenas. Oh, and foreign wars. Yes, you all could go to the Staples Center and enjoy a basketball game in the last, you know, 20 minutes of your life if you'd like so, to. Geez. Yeah, and so uh so we have we don't have we know ha we know have no bunkers. We don't have <laughs> no bunkers. And in true American fashion, you're responsible for your own bunker. Yeah. That's right. And that's right. You have to have your own bunker and so so there's that. And then there's this other thing that the Russians have you know, remember I said we have about 75 anti-ballistic missiles. Oh, how many do the Russians have, you ask? Well, that's a very good question. Let me answer it. They have between eleven and 12,000 anti-ballistic missiles. Eleven and 12,000. Wow. And so when it comes time to push the button, which country is going to have its defenses penetrated and have its cities blown up? And which country is going to have very, very few cities destroyed? Um 
you know, I think it's pretty clear the United States is extremely vulnerable. We've put all of our money into aircraft carriers and into other sorts of, of technologies uh, because we are the policemen of the world. But we basically are bringing a knife to a gunfight. And that's exactly where we stand at this very moment. Well, let me and, ask you, know, you this, because in kind of relating to, you know, the idea of revising reality, if I can tie it into that topic sure. in, in a way, yeah. you said that they've invested in these like advanced technologies. And we've discussed uh, along with some of the things that I've l- looked at with the secret space program and, mm-hmm. you know, the possibility that there being advanced space technology Presumably, I mean, even in the 80s, when Reagan was promoting the Star Wars program, the idea was to create space, you know, weapons that will prevent, uh, you know, uh, nuclear missiles or whatever from other nations, mainly, you know, the Soviet Union. And and so that that yeah, SDI. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, popularly known as Star Wars, you know, but I mean, if that was what was being talked about in the 80s publicly, is there a program do you think that exists that, you know, yeah, maybe our, our front, our, you know, (laughs) I mean, obviously our our sort of, (laughs) I guess our, our political front is just a complete mess, but I mean, is there a secret space program? Is there a, a hidden U.S. faction that is actually in space (laughs) or, you know, has advanced tech that's actually trying to look out for us or am I being too optimistic here? Well, you know, I think that you and I both agree that there is a secret space program. The the real question is, is who controls it? Um, right. You know, is it as Richard Dolan says that it's really the, you know, it's the the, the breakaway civilization? Um, you know, as Joseph P. Farrell talks, obviously, about exotic space weapons that have been developed. But, you know, his his most recent books really talking about 911 and who was responsible for that and whether it was directed energy weapons or exotic exotic space weapons. You know, his sense is that it's it's neither Russia nor the United States. It's this sort of third way, as he calls it it's this group of former nazis germans that actually control the breakaway civilization that have the uh you know the zero what's it called uh zero point zero zero point point energy energy uh and have the secret space weapons now do i think that we might have a trick up our sleeve i think we might the the issue is is can it really be what SDI was supposed to be, and many have said. In fact, I had a person come up to me in Colorado year, uh, last summer and say that he said he worked on it, and he said it doesn't exist. He said it's not. It is not. It was never really built. It was a giant smoking. Well, what not smoking gun? It was a deception. Yeah, smoke and, and mirrors. Uh, smoke and mirrors. It was smoke and mirrors. And uh, so uh, might it exist? Yeah, it might. But here's the thing that, you know, if we kind of get back to the Bible for a second, let's assume for a moment that that Jeremiah 50 and 51 really does refer, you know, as it says, to the daughter of Babylon, and the daughter of Babylon is perhaps the United States, which I believe it is. Um, it's very clear that, you know, that the United States, if it's the daughter of Babylon, is utterly destroyed. That um, there's there's verses in Jeremiah fifteen fifty one and in Isaiah that talk about the the arrows being fired from these enemies from the north. That none of those arrows are wasted; they all hit their targets. The that the daughter of Babylon is uh, ultimately destroyed; it will become uninhabitable. Um, and one can easily surmise from that that if this is the United States, it uh, it is destroyed not by 
by an EMP, but perhaps by an EMP, but by many other forms of weaponry as well. Um, and I've read, um, you know, what's it called? Shift plan. It's supposed to be, you know, probably saying something else, but um, the, the former Green Beret that goes by Jeremiah Johnson as a nom de plume um, has talked very specifically about the sequence of events and talks about which cities would be destroyed, uh, which military bases would be targeted, and, uh, and you know, almost exactly what would happen. And it, and it, it sounds so close to the prophecy of Dmitry Dudeman that it's very frightening and because uh, he lays out all the military reasons why all these different cities would be destroyed. And essentially, East Coast, West Coast, certain key military bases that, for the most part, are on the East Coast or West Coast. And, um, you know, it's uh, it, it sounds like a very compelling strategy. And essentially, the Russians, you know, we're as we talk, we're 30 minutes away from it being over. Not from it beginning, but from it being over, because it only takes that long for their missiles to get here from their mobile launchers, which they have and we don't, or from their subs that go up and down the coast. And they're, you know, you probably have a Russian sub within 100 miles of you guys today, <clears throat> you know, and it's uh, and it can fire cruise missiles that can hit you in five minutes. I mean, that's how right. close this whole thing is. And so let's, so, you know, let's be the president of the United States and the vice president and let's threaten these guys, you know, that have yeah. weapons and can defend their cities and their population while we can't. It would be a real smart thing to do. Right. And, you know, it's been f for a couple of years now, actually, we've sort of mentioned and there's been reports about Russia just kind of teasing the United States, crossing borders, getting getting a little too close, just sort of testing their own limits there. Um, and then this whole mess with the Middle East, which I'd, l I'd like somebody to explain a little bit better uh, for, for a lot of listeners. Be but, able to help you with that. Sure. But but and then bef bef uh, well, after that, you know, when it comes to nuclear war, war i'm i'm in my uh my hipster ignorance i'm assuming that there's a couple steps in between just straight up hitting all the red buttons i mean is is there some other things that need to happen before we start you know really jumping into the nuclear war uh clown car there well, as far as the, you know, like fueling the rockets, uh, <laughs> uncovering, <laughs> uncovering the silos, you know, take the lid off of the silo. What about or what about even like a, like it was in Afghanistan, you know, decades ago? Wouldn't there be some sort of um, ground war happening in the Middle East? You know, our, our favorite little playground to have wars in. Uh, the, you know, the next war could be fought from... Um, from the control room and no army need leave, you know, their couches and their, in their, in their bunks. Right. Uh, but the, that, that could happen. In other words, we are already in a run up right now to war. It's being fought by proxies. There are uh, things going on in the middle East right now. Uh, the Russian embassy was attacked by um, Jabhat al-Nusra, although they've, they've decided to take, take on a new name because they know now that many Americans know that that's really al-Qaeda that we are funding. And um, and so that's, you know, that's already happened. And supposedly, you know, it's it's been blamed on them without any U.S. support. But this is already going back and forth. There are already acts of war occurring uh, even as we speak, and it's happening now. So the answer to your question is yes. And, and those things have been going on really for about a year. 
There's been jostling back and forth, but the the, the battle in Aleppo that's been uh, ongoing, and then um, you know, and then just in the last 24, 48 hours, the battle for Mosul has commenced, and uh, ISIS very likely will be wiped out, but <clears throat> Al Qaeda. Uh, likely will continue, supported by the United States, and uh, and so you really have still the Russia, uh, you know, and the United States squaring off over Syria for uh, reasons that are have really virtually no strategic interest to the United States, other than oil, other than gas pipelines, and where those pipelines run from, where they begin to where they end, and uh, and so uh, you know there there's no question that oil and energy is a big part of it, but. Right now, strategically, there is no reason for us to be fighting in uh, in Syria, and uh, and yet we are ready to go to World War III uh, because of our politicians and their secret agenda about the new world order and trying to eliminate the last obstacle to the new world order, which is primarily Russia. Mm, yeah, I guess that, that's an interesting part that needs to be added into the conversation that is not necessarily getting talked about in the mainstream media which is Putin uh being being so resistant to the 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 global agenda yeah right right yeah well yeah Putin is a nationalist that's one of the reasons why he and Trump are acting like that they're buddies because Trump is saying you know he's saying you know to heck with globalism we need to focus on the United States first so he is being identified as a nationalist and, and willing to accept that um, the the mainstream media and the liberals want to say well oh you know nationalism national socialism now that was what Hitler was and so Trump's <laughs> like a Hitler, you know, and so, oh, so putting America first and making America great again is the same as the Third Reich. Well, that's kind of, you know, the way that the media is is leading us to believe. I was going to say, and, the media uh, the yeah. media is not very, uh, it, it's crumbling uh, right in front of yeah. us right now. It's kind of interesting well, why, to watch. Why, why would why would you say that they they have a six percent approval rating or, <laughs> you know, believability rating by the American public? Yeah, it's crazy. percent. 94% of Americans believe the media does not tell us the truth. That is, you know, I mean, I think Baghdad Bob had more uh, credibility than American <laughs> media. You know, there's no, there's no war. We are good in Baghdad. No one is coming here. We are fine. Oh, watch that. I have to duck. Someone is shooting at me. Oh, he's an American. Oh, but we are okay. There's no one here in, in, in Baghdad. <laughs> See now, so uh, again, this is, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull back just a couple of steps here again. So we have Putin, who's a nationalist. Uh, obviously, some uh, the hackings. I mean, I, I, the the reporting of the hackings is is so frustrating to me because it's obvious that the reporters or whoever's putting together the reports really have don't really know much about computers, um, which which has made the reporting really infuriating. Um, you know, d talking about hackers when it's not really hackers, talking about, you know, mixing up, uh, you know, getting pinged by Russia or a Russian IP address with like, yeah, just getting pinged by them versus like a malicious attack that came with the, I mean, it's just all, it's all, all nothing. They're just, there's far more intelligence on Mr. Robot. Than there than there is in any of the mainstream media news reports. Oh yeah, uh, that's sure. and that's for sure. And again, it's it's almost like you you listen to one of these Russian uh, 
hacking reports and it's just like well we know a bunch of computer words and we know what what sounds good let's just say all those things and you know i'm not even convinced that it's the russian government if if you know i mean it's and it's so easy to make an attack uh from an ip address in russia and have it look like it came from russia anyways it's it's the whole thing's a mess yeah you know and of course putin's position is he basically says well so what if it was us? Don't you think that the information that came out about the way that the Democratic Committee was screwing Bernie Sanders is something that the public in America would yeah. actually want to know? Isn't that oh, a little more um, important? Among, <laughs> among, among yeah. other, yeah, right. Well, you know, Hillary hates the Russians. That's just <laughs> like a, well, she that's does. A, that's a foundational uh, value in her life. Uh, yeah, but it, it, you know, it's true. I was noticing the what's her name Stein. That is the Green Party uh, mm-hmm. candidate. Uh, I was watching her last night. I was watching a whole bunch of clips on YouTube last night on on this subject because it's obviously something that that I have to pay attention to for various reasons. But she basically says, you know, I, I, I if Trump wins, I will not sleep at night. But if Hillary wins, I really won't sleep at night. Right, right. And uh, and and it's because she basically says her policy. Uh, you know, she's ready to go to war with Russia. And we had, you know, was it two weeks ago? Joe Dunford, who's the the Marine General, that's the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. You know, the mm-hmm. senators were asking him, you know, well, what if we did a no-fly zone? What would that mean? And he said that would mean that we are declaring war on Syria and Russia. Yeah. I mean, he was yeah. he was correct. He did not mince words. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Hillary came to, came to, you know, had her coming of age like right in the middle of the the whole Russian problem decades ago. And so, I mean, shit's built into her to want to finish some things. You know, when she was making her way in politics, Russia was the enemy. So I think she kind of just has a personal legacy she's trying to well, there's, you know, yeah, there's some people that say that that was all a deception, that anyone that did her, you know, doctoral, not doctoral thesis, but her master's thesis or whatever on on Sololinsky, right. um, you know, that that maybe she's a little bit more Marxist than she's willing to admit. And certainly my my friend Jeff Nyquist, who studies the Russians and uh, he and Ben Baruch wrote, wrote the book, uh, The New Tactics of Global War. And uh, and of course, he you know, he's kind of an old school guy. He. He basically just believes that that most of these enemies that are in the American government are they're basically communists. You know, now right. I'm, I'm a little reluctant to use that term because it sounds like such a throwback that it's retro fear. Yeah, yeah retro-fear. it is fear. Seriously, it's like, it ooh. is very retro fear. I, you know, you got to definitely write an article on thing. I think that's like kind of like, um, you know, Stephen Colbert coming up with the term truthiness. <laughs> it's almost the same thing retro fear right. so uh, yeah so i i would say look uh, a lot of the american intellectuals and a lot of people in government have been influenced by marxist ideology that does not mean that they are ideologues for communists they still might you know want america to prevail but they are clearly socialist and uh, you know i mean obamacare i mean for crying out loud fdr's social security program that's socialism you know, it's just right. a question of how much socialism do you want to tolerate and how much can you get along with versus, you know, how much do you need to sort of make way for free markets and personal right. and, and all that. And things. how much is valuable? You know, you, you don't, yeah. you, it's easy to overstep that. 
Right, right. And so, I, you know, the truth is that, that some blend of free market capitalism and socialism is probably the right, the right balance in life. And that's really the way that America has been living for the last 70 years is, uh, you know, it's partially socialist, partially free market capitalism. And it's, but it's mostly corporatism, you know, the, which is really the, the dominance of the big corporation. You know, it's not mm-hmm. a level playing field. Little companies don't have the same privileges that big companies do. Right, and, right. You know, and that's just that's the way that's the way we are. Yeah. Well, here's a question: Do we want to go further? You know, do we want to go further? Yeah. Socialism. Well, at what role do you think corporatism will play in a nuclear war with Russia? Because now we're all pretty, at least my generation's pretty uh, uh, acclimatized to being in war for corporate profit, but it doesn't seem like nuclear war really profits that much. Unless you, unless you're selling hazmat suits, yeah, you know if you're if you're planning to you know destroy a hundred million consumers in the United States through a nuclear war, it would seem like that would really ruin your day if you're a corporation selling consumer goods, and so you know, there's some real contradictions in this that make little sense and why it is that that the I think it's just pure arrogance and you know why is it that Satan thinks he can defeat God. You know, he's messed up in his mind to think mm. that he can do that, but he does. He does believe that. And yeah. the question is, why Why would the New World Order of the elites be so arrogant that they think that we are in a position to dictate to the Russians now, um, you know, the way it's going to be and how they have to play ball or they're going to be wiped out? Yeah, price of oil's down. Yeah, the ruble's crumbling. But as I explained to someone on Facebook the other day, you know, it doesn't really matter if you have the money to buy more nuclear weapons if you already have the nuclear weapons. And if you all you have to do is push a button to launch them. If they're in your inventory, you're ready to go. And right. that's essentially where we are today. Now, do you think do you think it's possible that the this whole entire thing with Russia, this entire threat is only being used as uh, you know a fear campaign to affect the elections or affect a you know an extended Obama administration or to affect a you know an expedited Hillary uh, something blah 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 something or other. It it ultimately is uh, it depends on Vladimir Putin. You know, if, if Putin plays along and he backs down and he doesn't do anything, then we can say, yeah, he was just he was in on it. You know, it was all a trumped up, ha ha ha, no pun intended, a, a trumped up situation to get Hillary elected. And uh, and Putin's playing along. And, you know, he's he's good with the new world order. And China's really good with the new world order, too. And so, you know, if you want to if you believe that, then I suppose you could assume that that this is all just, uh, you know, drama. It's all just kabuki theater. But uh, it doesn't appear that that's the case. And yet, I almost think that that's where a lot of these American elites in our government, they, they, you know, they know that we have great military power. What they haven't figured out, though, is that it's kind of like you guys have probably played, you know, Reversi or Othello or whatever it's called, you know, where if you got the corner points, you know, and you and you and you are white and, you know, if you got all the corners, you're going to win the game. It doesn't mm. matter how many other blacks are out there on the table right now. If you're white and you got the corners, you're going to win the game. And it's kind of the same way with nuclear weapons. Nuclear weapons trump everything else. 
Right. And you've got the if you've got the defense, so you can protect. Let's say you can protect eighty percent to ninety percent of your population, and and you know that that's the worst you're going to have. You know, but you're going to be able to completely destroy your enemy. Um, then then if you feel threatened by that enemy, then you may say, well, that's our only choice. We have to do it, and that's where I think Russia is right now. I think Russia believes sincerely believes, and I wrote an article on this about two weeks ago, I wrote an article about six reasons why America could strike first and explained, you know, what it is that's driving American uh, thinking right now that would cause America to actually go ahead and attack Russia first. And uh, folks don't realize that, of course, we, we did initiate the use of nuclear weapons in World War II, but Eisenhower uh, was fully prepared to use nuclear weapons in Korea against North Korea. And it was the only thing that got the North Koreans to the table to finally work out a peace agreement uh, in Pyongyang or whatever it's called. Um, and um, and so, you know, we are willing and we have demonstrated that we will use nuclear weapons. The Russians fear that. And I think that they they really believe that that they have to protect themselves because the 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 West has shown that when it has a superior advantage, it is not fearful of using it, and um, and so that's that's the greatest uh, reason why a nuclear war could actually happen is because the Russians fear that the U.S. will use our weapons first. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting because, like, again, and I keep going back to this, um, the Hillary supporters are going to be so heartbroken if something like this happens. I mean, I just feel so, there is a small part of me inside who's just like, oh, honey, I'm sorry, really sorry that we were right about your crazy candidate the whole time, but, you know... uh, with all her inclusivity and love and and all the things that they love so much, going straight and starting to nuke the whales is really going to put a damper on that for a lot of people. <laughs> Nuking the whales, that's, a, it's a, that's really a problem. <laughs> okay, well, well, where do you see it going? I mean, okay, obviously, we. do you suspect that this will happen, or is this, uh, are you just reading the, the bones here? Yeah, well, um, I don't read the bones too much, but you know, <laughs> I don't, and I don't cast the urine and the thumen either. But okay. um, you know, so but I, I do analysis. The analysis I've done, um, you know, for well, a couple of years, I've been pretty much right in terms of identifying what's happening and what's eventually going to become clear. And I've I've read pundit after pundit that said this is all made up, this will never happen, we won't get to this point, and they've all been proven wrong. And yours truly has mm-hmm. been proven right. So, but my sense is that from a you know the, the the issue I have on my side is that I read the Bible and I believe in Bible prophecy, and mm-hmm. and I happen to think that that many of the interpretations I have are right. Um, and uh, and so my sense is that it is going to happen. Now, whether it happens, you know, in the next few weeks, the next few months, or it doesn't happen for several years, uh, it's going to happen. Um, if I'm wrong about uh, America as the daughter of Babylon, then, you know, then, then I'm probably wrong about the whole scenario. Uh, possibly. I mean, I could be, you know, wrong, assuming there's no God and, and the Bible prophecy is completely wrong. You know, we still have a nuclear war, but, but that's not that's nearly where, not where I'm coming from. So that would just be extra inconvenient. It would be very bad. It would be very yeah. bad. 
but um, mm-hmm. nevertheless, my sense is though no, we're 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 staring in the face of a of a reality that uh, seems to have been prophesied by uh, the prophets uh, of uh, uh, of the Jews um, from well, and actually I should just say Israel because. The Jews or Judah, but from Israel from over two thousand five hundred years ago, and um, and it seems that these things are happening. There's never been a nation that matches the attributes uh, as specified by about the daughter of Babylon, uh, the way that the United States meets those attributes. And so, um, it appears that we are destined for destruction. When that happens, I don't know. But goodness knows, given all of the weirdness that we've gotten into, this country has, it is it is not inconceivable that the judgment of God, in fact, has been deferred as long as it's going to be deferred and that it's coming. Um, now, Ezekiel 38 says, uh, I believe that it says, that the United States is going to be attacked and that Russia will be the means by which it will be judged. However, within a certain period of time, and I think probably within a few short months, after the United States is out of the way, that this is when Gog and Magog, uh, who's been used to uh, take America out, does accumulate or aggregate all of these armies, as discussed in Ezekiel 38, and attempts to move against Israel. At that time, there is a judgment of God directly upon the armies of, of Gog, Magog, uh, the Persians, the Libyans, etc., etc., and so on. So all of these nations that are that are mentioned in Ezekiel 38, according to Ezekiel, they are going to be utterly destroyed. At anywhere from 5, 6 to 100% are going to be destroyed. It's going to leave the world in, uh, in, a, in a very different place. No United States, no Russia, and there is there are no powers except powers in Europe and the powers of the kings of the East. Then I think we are into the revelation scenario, and we are into the tribulation period. I don't think that these attacks, the war of Gog and Magog, happen in the tribulation. I think they happen just before, and that is, in fact, one of the things I talk about and point out in in uh, the late, or the next great, not not the next great, or the late great, the next great war in the Middle East is that many of the scholars that have talked about the war of Gog and Magog, uh, Chuck Missler, Grant Jeffrey, uh, Randall Price, Tim LaHaye, <clears throat> they all agree, I agree with them, I should say, uh, that um, Gog and Magog happens a few years before uh, the tribulation actually begins. And, um, and that is where I think we are in history, is I think we are in that time frame. We are in the lead-up to the war of Gog and Magog, that it is the next great war. It's not Psalm 83. Uh, and I know that's a very unpopular thing to say, and, and I have a friend named Bill Salas who doesn't like it when I say that, <laughs> but uh, but I, I do not believe Psalm 83 is a future war. I believe it's a descriptive of a, of a, of a prior war that occurred 3,000 years ago, and there's a guy named Chris White, uh, Gantz, that happens to argue that Bill is wrong, and I think Chris is 100% right in his analysis, and um, so I don't see Psalm 83 as the next great war, and unlike the... Uh, Islamic Antichrist folks that argue that Gog and Magog is the same as Armageddon, I think that they are distinct wars, and so I don't agree with friend Joel Richardson that um, that the next great war is Armageddon. The next great war is Gog and Magog, and that's that's the thesis of my 
my book, and and I spend about a hundred pages in the book talking about the run up to the war in terms of analyzing what's happened in the Middle East. You know, where is the United States? Why is the United States fallen off of uh, you know its power base in the Middle East? Why has it done that? Why is Russia moving in? Why has Russia become so strong? And then I spend the next hundred pages talking about you know the the other theories about the the next great war and why they are not accurate in my view and ultimately why i think we are right at the cusp of of that war and so that's uh you know that's the argument and uh so far uh it's it's unfortunately perhaps it's looking like i'm right so uh that's where we are we're not looking to see israel destroy all of its surrounding enemies we're looking at a major war between initially uh, Russia and the United States, the Anglo-Americans, which I think is Ezekiel thirty-eight thirteen. I don't see that as as the you know Sheba and Dan, the merchants of Tarshish and young lions, as sitting on the sidelines uh, doing nothing. I see them as the subject of the attack. Uh, I see their astonishment as a result of well, why is it that Russia, you are attacking us, and <clears throat> that they are taken out of the way, and by them being taken out of the way, uh, that it then clears the way for all of these armies to mass against Israel to eliminate the other problem that uh, would then put the Middle East f- firmly in control of uh, Islam and uh, and the Russians, and that that's the that's the world that they are are driving towards. Well, Douglas Woodward, that that is quite a in-depth analysis, and I'm I gotta give you a round of applause for fitting it in so quickly there. Um. <laughs> Yay! Hey, well, you know I've been talking about it for a while and writing about it, and and uh, and you know, and I, obviously I'm pretty passionate about it because I'm I'm. There's a few of us that, uh, you know, believe what I do. John Price, who wrote The End of America, he thinks I'm right on. He wrote the forward to the book. And and uh, Ben Baruch is a friend and and uh, and others. And so, yeah, so, you know, when, when other Christians who are well-meaning are arguing that we are 20, 30 years away from the return of the Lord, and I think that we could be less than 10 years away and, and the rapture if it happens if it happens early if it happens right. pre-trib we could be at any moment now you know there's there's a real difference of opinion and it's a significant uh issue hey, well there you go now we, I, somebody, know, I just heard somebody go ding yeah, yeah i know trying. we're gonna lose you soon here and but we do have our uh our our uh, good for another 10 minutes i'm good for another uh, 10 Okay, you got another 10? Okay, good. So in that case, we're going to bring on uh, our second guest here, Anthony Patch, and you guys can interface here. And uh, Anthony, you there, buddy? I am back. Good to hear you guys this morning. Yes. Transition. We can transition. (laughs) Yes, we've just spent about an hour talking about nuclear war, so it's been super fun. Um, (laughs) I've been listening. And I have been listening. Oh, have you? Good. I wasn't sure you were there. Sorry, Anthony. We weren't including you in the conversation, but we. I'm very happy for you to be there now, and, and we can transition to uh, other topics. I think it ties in uh, this nuclear uh, war, everything that is developing mm-hmm. there ties in nice with CERN, because if you look at the history mm-hmm. of CERN, CERN was, you know, originally developed to uh, research, you know, nuclear development. So it's an interesting connection point. I'm wondering if there's something that they're planning with uh you know uh high energy particle collisions uh that would particle time yeah maybe uh you know 
doing something at a higher level energy, whatever, during mm-hmm. a nuclear attack, maybe, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm just throwing things out there, but I, I tend to do that when I see Anthony Patch online because I, my brain just starts spinning with uh, some of the things <laughs> he's talked about. But, uh, you know, what do you think, Anthony, about some of the, the nuclear war uh, threats with Russia as it ties into some of the research with CERN? Well, first off, I do concur with um, everything that Douglas presented here. We're walking uh, joined at the hip with uh, yeah. Douglas's conclusions to his research. So I commend you. You've made things a lot clearer for me regarding good. the Middle East Thank and you. with Russia. That's good, because that would be really awkward if you came on and just said everything <laughs> he said was wrong. And then we'd have to spend all that time. Okay. <laughs> No, so I thank think, you for, I, for that. Yeah, I, I think we came to an understanding about um, our perspectives long before we even collaborated on revising reality. So um, it wouldn't have worked if we hadn't. But yeah. to your question about CERN, um, here's the way that I've seen this long before we even, and I'm not a soothsayer, I'm not a prophet, but the way that I kind of come to a conclusion in my head, let's say, about the chain of events with Russia. It predates this whole specter of nuclear war with Russia in what we're seeing in these last few days and weeks. And that is that it's the magician trick. There had to be a distraction away from the activities at CERN so that CERN could operate in the dark and without any scrutiny towards their goal of opening this interdimensional portal. And to that end, their published schedule is something for public consumption. In other words, the flipping that around 180 degrees is it's merely put out there as a way to um, distract people away from the real chain of events that are going on at CERN. And that is that we are to discount their published schedule specifically to the awake particle accelerator project They're combining the two accelerators, the linear awake and the ring-based Large Hadron Collider. And the power that will be resulting from that combination of the two machines will result in opening the portal. They do not want to publish on their schedule when those two machines will be acting acting in um, concurrence with each other. Therefore, discount the schedule that is published and watch world events as the barometer as to what CERN is actually doing. Therefore, in conclusion, I'm not putting a date to anything, but I do think that we have to look at the Revelation 12, September 23rd of next year, as what I define as the bookend. The bookend to what Douglas is talking about is September. That's the far limit that I see in terms of nuclear exchange, Syria, Israel, any of these things playing out. And I do agree, Gog Magog is right in there. So if we want to put a time frame and put an endpoint to it, it would be September of next year. So anything can happen between now and then. Personally, I think we're at the wag the dog situation. And I've mentioned this in many emails in the last couple of weeks. We're just in in a wag the dog situation as far as our election. And that, too, is a distraction away from what is really going on, not only only at CERN, but what's really going on with the globalist agenda. 
Yeah, yeah I, I think that there's a there's a you know good chance, Anthony, that you're exactly right. I, I think that I, I don't think Putin will do anything between now and the election. Now, after the election, depending upon who wins the election, between that period of time and the inauguration, that is, you know, historically where we are at the greatest vulnerability because you have a transition of power going on. You have a president-elect. There is an office of the president-elect. And, uh, and and you have a lame duck president that is likely to be very more cautious about what he does uh, during that that period of time, other than probably uh, grant pardons to a number of criminals that shouldn't have pardons granted, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's probably where we are. Seems to be uh, a right, I'm, pattern. I'm going I'm to begin get quiet, and, and within about five minutes, I'm going to wander away. Okay, but uh, keep going, please. We appreciate your time with us, Doug. If uh, if you, you don't say much more there, but this whole thing with CERN in connection to to all this is really fascinating to me because. You know, you say, Anthony, that they're sort of working in the dark. And I, you know, I happen to think that, uh, Gog Magog, the war, Doug, before you leave, uh, mm-hmm. is one that is clearly described in the millennium, you know, Satan's last yes. rebellion as part of yep. his, you know, final rebellion, uh, one last, right. you know, in the, in the millennial kingdom. Do you deal with that a little bit in, in sort of, defending your position is it a cyclical prophecy do you, you know in your opinion I, I mention it i mention it um the you know and, and you're right of course uh i know you think a lot of chris white and that's yeah, chris's position it is yeah, and it's, a good, good it's, position. it's also you also think a lot of michael heiser and that's kind of michael's position too oh, interesting. <laughs> so uh yeah um although michael has kind of a kind of maybe a dual you know fulfillment sort of uh, scenario. I, see, I'm, I'm more open to that I, I, th- I think there's a cyclical yeah. nature to some of these prophecies that overlap in, in in your ezekiel 38 you know description that that sort of mentions both in one sort of you know i think there's yeah. possible there's, things there's, there that yeah yeah, I think you know. I would say I'm definitely a dual. I have a def- definitely a dual view, and that that there is a another uh, battle at the end of the millennium. I think that is clear. The question, of course, is is the the detailed description of the Gog Magog war in Ezekiel thirty eight thirty nine is that really pertinent? to uh prior to the millennium is it you know describing a war prior to the to the millennial reign of christ or is it is it solely describing um the view afterwards chris has a couple of pretty good arguments for why he believes it really is only afterwards and it's you know i don't have time to yeah. go into that but um, I would just say this, in terms of, of the the scholars, you know, I, I actually have this chart, and I don't know if, Gonzi, if you've seen it or not, but it lists sort of, <clears throat> it lists all the different times uh, when the Gog and Magog could happen in relationship to the other events of the Great Tribulation. So there's sort of, you know, does it happen after the millennium? Does it happen in the second half of the Great Tribulation? Does it happen at the midpoint? Does it happen at the beginning? Does it happen before? Right. And and what I did, based upon also some great research by a guy named Douglas Berner, who wrote a book, uh, The Silence is Broken, back in 2006, great book on this subject, is I, I 
took his work and then added some additional material to it myself and created this matrix. And it shows kind of where all the scholars are in terms of what when they believe the Gog-Magog war would happen. And essentially, uh, Chris's view and Michael's view is is pretty much a very, uh, very much a minority view. Um, and so I, I kind of said for you know purposes of space, I'm not going to really go into it. But I show you know all of the other scholars by name and where they think it it falls. And so it it is certainly dramatic because you've got like 40 different names and they all say it happens sometime during the tribulation or at the beginning or prior to. And as I mentioned prior to, um, Chuck Missler, Grant Jeffrey, Tim LaHaye, Randall Price, uh, Emil Gavrilouk, uh, I think, uh, is it Noah Hutchings? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of uh, scholars that have looked at it. They're very well aware, you know, of the um, uh, of the mention of Gog Magog at the end of Revelation, and they would all be dualists as well, you know, in terms of saying, yeah, it ha- there's something that happens then, but the the main conflagration um, that happens happens prior to the tribulation and actually sets up the opportunity for the Antichrist to come into power. And so I've I've changed my view a bit from, you know, America being mystery Babylon. I think America is the daughter of Babylon. I think that America is taken out prior to the tribulation. I think mystery Babylon persists because mystery Babylon is really a symbol of the opposition against the kingdom of God that's occurred, I think, for 6,000 years, basically. Yeah, yeah. And um, and so I see, you know, the United States as sort of the incarnation of Babylon leading into the tribulation. But then I believe the Antichrist appears probably a European. He might be Islamic, but it's not the Islamic Antichrist scenario because it's a global issue. It's a separate war uh, and so on and so on. So, uh, you know, my, my current supposition for another show, we can talk about it, is I believe the Antichrist will be a German <clears throat> And, uh, and so, uh, and there's some real interesting reasons that we can talk about as to why I think that's the case. Could be an English king. Uh, I think there's some uh, reasons, and even Joseph P. Farrell, I might be able to to bring into that discussion as to why I think that he would, you know, if he believed in an antichrist, which I don't think he does, but if he did, he he might concur. He was right. just following the orders. I've not heard a German antichrist yet, so that'll be fascinating. I, I have, I have a very yeah, famous yeah. German. A very famous yeah, German famous. Antichrist. Uh, yeah, exactly. um, and he was, too. And he was. Yeah, it's true. And, and I tie this all into CERN because and the idea of a possible pre-tribulation uh, period Gog and Magog situation or, or scenario mm-hmm. is because of things like CERN and things that we do read in, in Revelation that do occur, you know, in the judgment the first time around, you know, so... Leading up to it, things like CERN saying they're opening portals, things like a nuke going off that sets off high levels of energy that, you know, Joseph P. Farrell's talked about how that would cause, you know, these high energy yields or they yield, you know, these ripples and they, they kind of bend space time, you know, so these are opportunities for these particle physicists with these large instruments to sort of, uh, harness that energy or, or, I don't know. Uh, That's right. do, do something That's right. to, to, you know, maybe hold open a gateway. I don't know. Uh, you know, again, this is Anthony's area, well, but this is where it all kind of ties together. It's really interesting how the threat at this nuclear sort of destruction, doomsday kind of thing also has this true prophetic, you know, right. <laughs> it's kind well, of terrifying, but at the same time, it's, it's just, in front of us. 
I should just tee this up for Anthony, then I'll bow out. But, but you know, Anthony's made the statement in, in our book, <clears throat> Revising Reality, that that the ultimate agenda, really, for the folks at CERN is to create a weapons capability that can kill God. And um, and I think, Gans, I know you've, you've theorized this in your writings and in your discussions as well, that the secret space program is really uh, a program intended to develop a weapon that could fight against the Messiah and his mighty saints when they return to the earth. And, um, you know, so uh, CERN may be the, the future weapons program specifically to repel the, uh, the invader known as Jesus Christ and, uh, and his saints. So, um, Anthony, is that a good setup for you? Oh, yeah. You're right on the money. <laughs> right on point. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm, with that, I'm going to say goodbye. I'm anxious to hear uh, what Anthony has to say. And uh, you guys, please go crazy and talk about these things. And we can come back another time and, and talk more about my uh, – uh, I can tell you why Bill Salas and, and Joel Ro- Richardson actually hold to the same uh, wrong hermeneutic and uh, and why it is that the Germans might, in fact, be the uh, uh, you know the power base for the Antichrist. So that, that sounds like another program. All right, Douglas. Thanks so much for coming on the show, buddy, and we'll have you back soon. Thanks, guys. You guys do a great job. I appreciate it a lot. You did. No, you did a great job. You did a great job. Oh, you did a great job. All right. Love you guys. Thank you. Talk to you later. All right. All right. Bye bye. All right. So, with that being said, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. So, so let's get into what you think, Anthony. I mean, Doug set up so many things there for you. Uh, What are your thoughts on some of um, this this weapon system? Yeah, I'd like to start with at least tying a little bit in with the nuclear stuff, just as uh, Douglas set up there. So uh, in your opinion and within the bounds of your research there, how do you see the potential nuclear war with Russia fitting in with your research? Okay, well, I'll hit a couple of points real quick here. And that is that, as I said earlier, this is the magician's left hand not revealing what the right hand is doing. So I see the whole exchange with um, with Russia as a diversion, not just for the purpose of the wag the dog with the elections, but a diversion of the world's attention to what is going on at CERN. Now, CERN is, imagine the scenario, how our reality would change if a portal was actually opened. It would not matter if there was a threat of nuclear war on the horizon, nor the elections on the horizon. Now, I'm not saying they're going to open a portal between now and the elections or now and the end of the year. What I am saying is that that would cause everybody's paradigm to change instantaneously. So with that understood, the history of CERN has gone a moment ago. um, Sorry, I'm looking at some notes. um, said that this this is based on the modeling of nuclear yields from warheads in a computer rather than below ground and above ground testing. So that was the reason for establishing the the organization CERN in the first place, because when the first detonation took place at Trinity, and we all heard, you know, the, the famous quote from Oppenheimer of, I've become death, and that comes from the Hindu. What he was reflecting was the spiritual impetus for the pursuit of nuclear warheads. This spiritual impetus continues today at CERN. 
And I'm not blaming the Hindu practitioners. I'm just saying that this is the line of thinking that is exemplified by the statue of Shiva at CERN today, as it was exemplified in the quote by Oppenheimer at Trinity and the first test device was detonated. Now, specifically to the physics, I know jo Dr. Joseph Farrell and others, and I've, I do appreciate the work of Dr. Farrell, and he and I do correspond. He has put forth the notion, and I agree with him, that their purpose in creating those weapons in the first place was for the purpose of opening a portal. They felt that along that line of research of weapons development, they could gain more information, more data as to the power that is required at the quantum scale to actually break what is known as the strong force. That's a nuclear bond. We're not talking about splitting atoms. We're talking mm -hmm. about going down to the level of quarks and breaking the bond at the quark level. And so the first atomic bombs were the first steps into that doorway of realizing what kind of power are we talking about? What kind of devices do we have to put together? It just so happened that they could use them as weapons. So I'm going to stop there because we do have a part B in terms of weapons development at CERN today. Well, I think that fits in quite nicely with uh, where we uh, would like to go. So let's keep on going. Okay, I don't like to go too long-winded because I know you guys have your thoughts and comments, so I try to uh, be polite about that. Yeah, you know me. I'm not too polite. I'll just jump right in if I got something. <laughs> okay, all right. So with that little bit of history, a snapshot of history on weapons development, weapons development is not the primary purpose. It's a secondary purpose. The primary has always been to reach through the veil, to part the veil, to get to the other side, to allow those entities to come into our reality. But along the way, you have the weapons development. So we're talking kinetic energy weapons. Those are accelerated particles. And um, kinetic, I should say, kinetic energy weapons and um, energy, high energy weapons, which take on the form of accelerated protons and electrons as energy. So it's the kinetic energy weapon, the KEW, and the kinetic particle programs that are going on there. And that's where we get into the whole discussion of strangelets and a further discussion as to how can a particle in the theory of duality, it's not really a th theory now, it's been proven that a particle can also be a wave at the same time a wave can be a particle. So right. you're really talking about one program of directed energy and particles combined when you're talking about strangelets and you talk about the employment of what is the acknowledged most powerful explosive substance in the known universe predating if you follow the Big Bang, which you guys know I don't. But in the timeline of the development of the universe, this predates the Higgs boson, the so-called God particle. Hmm. That's fascinating. Now, uh, obviously, there's a lot of high-tech, fancy stuff going on at CERN, and certainly the development of weapons, you know, would and probably should, in the eyes of some people, be going on there. Now, do we have any hard evidence that uh, weapons are being developed, or has anything actually come out of that, or is it, uh, wh where do you stand on that? 
Yeah, the best evidence is the AWAKE experiment, that 30-meter-long linear accelerator that uses plasma waves to accelerate particles. That in itself is a both kinetic energy and directed energy weapon. That's the hardest evidence we have. And if you picture a rifle or you picture a artillery piece, a cannon, and you have a breech, and you open the breech and you feed in your projectile and you feed in your charges, your cartridges or your, your powder bags or whatever, and then you close the breech, that's the process by which they take one of the beams off of the main ring of the LHC, one of the beams of accelerated particles, and feed them to the breech, the beginning point of the linear accelerator. Those are pre-accelerated particles that then ride plasma waves to further accelerate those, and then they eject out at the end of that accelerator, and right now targeting what is known at the center point of the main ring, a target called the north field, and that's an impact point comprised of concrete and lead and some other materials 300 feet underground. Now, that's the clearest evidence I can give you of a directed energy, directed particle weapon is the AWAKE experiment itself. Right. Now, uh, given that this becomes a weapon or if they have the ability to weaponize it in a, you know, in a logically uh, you know, there's a lot of logistics and moving around all these giant machines, but let's just say they were able to develop some usable weapons, either by uh, individuals or nations. Who would a who would be the owner of that weapon and b how do you think it would be deployed? Is this a space weapon situation or can we put these on uh, these laser bazookas on some? sharks and send them underwater to the russian subs yeah really well let's start with your first they're owned by the globalists there is no single cent um sovereign nation that will have ownership or has ownership of this information the backup to that is to look at the 66 primary and there are subset nations but 66 primary nations that are participating financially and with personnel at cern presently. So you are talking about a situation in which the technology is owned by those that run the planet, essentially, at this point. So it is not the United States, it's not China, it's not Russia. They're all working together at CERN, which is rather interesting when you look at the political situation that we're facing between us and Russia and China right now. Behind the scenes, scientifically, they're all working hand-to-hand towards that single agenda, which, again, is to open the portal. It's just a tool. It's a massive drill bit, if you will. This is like a, you know, a handheld electric drill that's drilling through, you know, the, the quantum scale veil between the two dimensions. But deployment of weapons, certainly, as we have seen with NASA, with space program technology trickling down to the medical community, for example, same thing is occurring the money primarily is from the military industrial complex. If you follow the money, if they're putting the money up for the foundation of CERN for nuclear warhead research, then certainly they are expecting to get scaled down, smaller scale, handheld weapons that can be deployed on the battlefield. 
So it is not a stretch of the imagination to say the trickle-down technology of particle accelerators is occurring to the average soldier on the battlefield. Now, the backup to that is look at Stanford, for example, and there are many others like this, but Stanford, their linear accelerator program, that's a two-mile-long linear accelerator. Well, about five years ago, they produced a chip-sized, a chip-based linear accelerator that produced an acceleration that was a thousand times faster than the acceleration produced by the two-mile linear accelerator. That was five years ago when I read the published paper on a chip-sized accelerator. You can have a particle accelerator on your wrist. Wow. Now, I'm assuming that that, you know, accelerated the particle, what, the length of the chip? Or did it, were they shooting targets? No, that's just the length of the chip. And yeah, so you're okay. looking at that scale in terms of a thousand times the acceleration. But still, five years ago, that's pretty. That's a pretty big jump uh, as far as time versus uh, distance crossed, <laughs> at least technologically. And obviously, I'm not going to have access to secret information that's going to say definitively they have a weapon that is going to shoot a beam, you know, from a wrist-based weapon. But it is not hard to extrapolate the application of that kind of technology to those types of battlefield scenarios. Yeah, no, it is not hard. And so now we're all waiting for the future to arrive, uh, either in so we can panic about it or at least to take part in it. Do you have uh, any suspicions of what the timeline may be on some of these types of weapons? Well, the timeline is that they already exist. Um, let's go back to the premise that the technology that we are aware of in the public arena is 20, 30, 40, 50 years old. It's already been in the background that long. Yeah, and if I can, sorry to interject, sure. Anthony, to cut you off, but just to add to the, you know, the evidence of weaponry or evidence of, of connection to space and, you know, perhaps secret space weaponry, um, this was published by NASA themselves uh, back in July 29, 2015. The story is MMS spacecraft in tetrahedral flying formation. And the MMS is the uh, magnetospheric multiscale mission. And it's these four spacecraft that fly in this tetrahedral form. Uh, and they float around space. And then you have the 37 or X-37B that just passed the 500-day mark up in space mm -hmm. and they still don't you know the publicly they still haven't announced what the payload is or why it's up there or anything so um you know there are a couple other you know items that are going up into space that um seem to be you know indicating some sort of weaponry that um mm -hmm. in particular the um you know the magnetospheric multi-scale mission uh sounds to me because you know it's supposed to measure particle uh or, or particle waves or something up in space um, looking you know, for black holes right right and, and so yeah there's an obvious connection there to you know what cern is doing with particles and everything else yeah those um that's what i call the diamond configuration the tetrahedral pattern of those satellites they were put up for the the public announced purpose was to measure microscopic um, picosecond duration black holes naturally occurring in the magnetosphere and in the atmosphere due to the arrival of gamma rays 
and x-rays from the cosmos, which we're normally all the time we are being bombarded with. The theory of black holes, as you guys know, I don't adhere to the, the idea, the, the, the theory of black holes even existing, but that's for public consumption. We always have to go below that and say, okay, that's what they're telling the public, but what's the application in reality? And the reality is exactly what you're describing is that if you place them in a tetrahedral pattern, a diamond pattern, pattern in space, that is for the purpose of being able to focus each of the beams that are emitted from the satellites to a point on the Earth or out into the cosmos. So if you play out the scenario of an Earth-based war and taking out nukes before they're even launched by using space-based satellites to take them out, that's one way of looking at it. The other is 180 degrees around and directing those same focused beams to a center point in the cosmos. My thinking, and this is where you know your heads begin to melt and everybody's eyes start to roll, but I look <laughs> to the planets. I look to Saturn and Jupiter, and Jupiter is fact factoring into this more and more in the research that I'm doing in collaboration with Chris, um, Chris from End Times Matrix News. We're really looking towards the cosmos as the indicators as to the timeline and the agenda that's playing out with CERN. Specifically, as you've heard me say for many years, they're trying to electrically, through Birkeland Currents, reconnect from CERN to the southern pole of Saturn, and as well, electrically to each of the other planets. So I'm going to stop there because that's a long discussion. But the point is, I do agree that there are atmospheric and space-based weapons that already exist. And if Russia, for example, decides that they're going to launch some nukes, I don't really think that they're going to have the capability of doing that. I think that they will be taken out by these space-based weapons programs. It's not Star Wars. It's way beyond the Star Wars of Ronald Reagan. Right. Yeah. That- yeah. Douglas was talking about uh, an article that he brought up. Uh, it was actually from last year, but talking about how the United States is, is grossly underprepared for a nuclear attack just uh, based on the numbers of nukes that uh, Russia owns versus the number of defense uh, missiles they have. But yeah, if we got some sneaky little spaceships with uh, some fancy lasers on them, I think we'll be fine. Eh? <laughs> that, that's, my, that's my technical speak. No, that's great. I, I I do think, again, we have to realize that, um, number one, let's look at money. Russia's economy is equivalent to that of Italy right now. Okay, I mean, they've been so hurt. Yes, they do have existing nuclear warheads, as you guys said earlier, and they don't need to go and buy anymore. They have plenty, and they have the S-300 and S-400 anti-aircraft and anti-missile defense systems. So those are very sophisticated but you don't need a nuclear war. If you want to kill off two-thirds of the human population, you don't need a war. But if we look at Bible prophecy, it's clearly evident that there will be a nuclear exchange. And it's, um, it's unfortunate. But let's say that there was one sovereign nation in control of space-based weaponry, the United States, and therefore could negate the nuclear war Um, forces with China, North Korea, Russia, even the Pakistan missiles that are, you know, vulnerable at this point. We're looking at a situation where 
that reality does not exist. There is no sovereign single um, nation in this country, in this world anymore. We still have what we think is sovereignty on a political level, but we don't. The globalists clearly are in control of the major technologies that I discuss. And again, that's evidenced by who's participating at CERN and who's funding it. So the point here is that there will be allowed some, let's call it on a tactical scale, some nuclear exchange taking place, because the agenda is to depopulate the planet and get it down to a point that's manageable by the globalists for a surf class of slaves. And you've heard me say this over and over and over again, but I'm saying it for the benefit of people who have not heard this. So we have to keep in mind what is the agenda, and the agenda is control of the population. Do you want to kill off everybody? No. Do you want to kill off a large portion of them? Yes. Do you want to interrupt nuclear exchanges with space-based weaponry? Yes, that could be done, but I don't think that that's the agenda. The agenda for the space-based is to go to war with God and his angels, as you said earlier. And that really sounds bizarre. But we have to realize this is a spiritual warfare, and you cannot separate the the spiritual from the physical. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the 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 all the propaganda that have the that we've looked at with portals and you know dimensions and all kinds of stuff in popular culture right now. If something real happened, uh, like you mentioned at the top when you started talking about some of this stuff, it would be a, a huge shift, but there is a generation being raised through a lot of this, you know, TV and TV shows and all kinds of stuff uh, that is making this more normal. Like, oh yeah, of course, a dark or light, you know, whatever portal or, you know, a dimensional opening, that thing can happen, you know, because they've been, they've seen it all their lives, you know, where kind of fiction becomes reality, you know, where the, the technology meets magic kind of thing. So, you know, I totally see that as a possible scenario as sort of the world climate going into the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. And it seems like, you know, we can't, we can't imagine that right now and what it would be like in a world that's like, Oh yeah, these guys came through and, or they're aliens or whatever, you know, whatever spin it's going to be or whatever it's going to look like. I think we should keep an open mind. That sort of thing is, seems to be on the horizon, especially you know, tying it back to all the stuff going on now with the politics. Uh, one of the mm-hmm. things that Hillary Clinton did mention um, is that, you know, she wants to uh, declassify all the UFO stuff. Um, one of her, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, one of the people that were, was part of the DNC and part of the uh, Obama administration, Podesta is the, you know, he's at the center of the whole WikiLeaks emails thing, all that. So there's, right. there's a lot there, even, you know, in the spilling of the beans, so to speak through WikiLeaks, that seems to be, preparing the masses uh for this kind of um bizarreness so to speak with uh you know uh, just just publicly being known that you know we live in a very strange world that uh you know a lot of people Mm -hmm. don't realize well it it begs the question on all of these topics why why would you number one have disclosure she talks about you know getting the files on area 51 and disclosing why would you have disclosure of contact with aliens why would you have the predictive programming of a portal opening? And in most popular culture, you guys know this better than I do, but in most that I'm, I've seen, it's been a negative connotation that it's disastrous to open a portal. So why would you want to 
put it out there to people that it's a negative when, in fact, that's what you're trying to go towards. Well, it's all that sleight of hand. You get people in the discussion of portals and you get them thinking about portals and it becomes part of the mindset that portals are just a foregone conclusion that the wonderful things that scientists are doing, they can achieve this and then they change it. Then they change the discussion from it being a negative to a positive. But you have to start with the discussion and most people are attracted to the negative. They're attracted to the bad news that is put out. So you start with the bad news, but it starts the dialogue, and it imprints on people's minds the concept of a portal so that it becomes tangible and real to them that a portal is achievable through science. Then you flip it around, and through disclosure and the portal, you put out the scenario that the benevolent ancestors from the stars, call them the Anunnaki, whoever you want to call them, have been here before, are here now, and more of them we are welcoming through this portal that you know that we can we can accomplish. Right. And therefore, you spin it as a positive. It'll be, you know, everyone will say, well, a portal opening, that's that could be disastrous. And then when they announce these benevolent uh, ancestors of ours, in everyone's mind, they're going to say, whoa, this is crazy. But hey, it's not as bad as all the you know craziness that we've been programmed with the dark creatures coming through and all that. It's way better than that, you know, so they'll even accept it in that sort of thinking, you know, <laughs> being traumatized yeah. by it and thinking, oh, yeah, uh, the real but thing is as bad as the, the movies. Right. And so when you start talking in the positive about the wonderful glorious achievement that we are about to present to you. We are now talking in the positive. We're about to open the portal. When we open the portal, it's going to solve all of the world's problems. And you have a ramping up of wars, the threats of wars, the terraforming of the planet of volcanoes and earthquakes and typhoons and hurricanes, all these things that keep pushing and hyping everything up so that people are fearful But then the solution is presented, and that is the benevolent ancestors coming through the portal. And we're announcing that on a specific date, we are going to open this portal. And we want you to know that it's a wonderful miracle that is about to happen. It's the ascension in the New Age discussion. Okay? So people are welcoming it. But we have read Scripture. We know what comes through the portal, the opening to the abyss. It is a tool of judgment by God against people who have turned away from God and his son, Jesus Christ. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, that's, you know, sort of the thing that makes our discussion unique here. And, you know, the stuff we wrote about in Revising Reality and just all the work we do is that we're taking it from this scriptural, biblical foundation. And admittedly, it's it's a lot of times, you know, it feels like, oh, we're 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 you know making a stretch this is the the paranoid fringe whatever you want to label it but it really you know i would recommend people who feel that way to start actually looking at the the information because it's not necessarily any of us coming up with this you know it's sort of it's sort of being presented in a really obvious way throughout culture throughout you know different media that we've talked about but also, you know, institutions, universities, in the establishment, uh, it's been well-developed. So, 
Um, right. I would expect that the more of this that comes out, the more people will either reject it and know, you know, what it is and see it for what it is or completely accept it and be a part of it. And, and I feel like, you know, this sort of this election cycle, isn't it starting to feel like there is that sort of like, whoa, there are people that are completely under a sort of deception that man, like even, it, even when the, there's truth or other information out there that really counters everything you stand for, you still buy into, you know, something that is so obviously corrupt and false and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, right. I don't know. Yeah, I don't want to be a bummer, but it's just, <laughs> <laughs> bummer it's kind of what I'm seeing, you know, it's kind of, you know, along no. with a lot of people waking up to what's really going on, there's a positive side to that, but it feels like there's still a lot of people just like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Just absolutely. The, the it, mind control. Yeah. The mind control is very strong, uh, with, with many, many citizens of the, uh, the the globe or the pancake however you want to look at it um <laughs> that's your line now i know i love it so much because it's <laughs> so true uh so anyways you know you you guys as, as well as doug uh woodward there had dropped uh mentions of your guys's new book i suppose we should talk about it a little bit is that going to be okay do you guys will you guys explain it to me please Cause I, cause well, I, I just I just wrote I'm stuff. Not, I'm not so cool. <laughs> okay, so wrote stuff. I'll, I'll I'll throw it to you, Anthony. So you, there's this new book, Revising Reality, and it's got a bunch of uh, uh, well, I I would like to say good friends of mine who are uh, have added to the the compendium of knowledge that it represents. So why don't you give me a little rundown of the book, uh, Anthony, so we can uh, get the word out there and get people educated. Well, I appreciate that. The idea behind the book was to present to people information that they have not been exposed to before, or even if they've heard of some of the topics in the book, that they've not been exposed to the depth of the detail in the research that the four of us present in this book. And it really is a university-level textbook, but it is not dry and boring. It's simply written to that level of credibility in terms of the research that Josh, Gons, Douglas, and myself have done and contributed to this book. What the intent of this book is, is to help people realize that what they have been presented in terms of science and even mythology in school and in churches of all types really has been deceptive and has covered up what really is going on specifically in the world of science itself. And so we're showing and exposing what really is going on behind the curtain, what the Wizard of Oz has really been up to, if you will. And we try to do it, as they say, not in a way that is dry and boring as if you're going, you know, you're going back to school and having to study for a test. This really opens up from four somewhat different, but certainly complementary, because we're basing our research and our findings on scripture, but giving you an opportunity to see the, the perspective of four different authors on a view of reality that's been purposefully obfuscated, in other words, covered up the occult, the hiding of the knowledge, the hiding of truth, 
And what we're doing is parting that veil and showing you the truth of what really is going on in the world in science, what the agenda behind their activities, not just the technology, but what is driving the technology and what are the goals that they hope to achieve with this technology that is driven driven by the spiritual side. Yeah, I'm looking actually through the table of contents right now, and uh, it looks like there is a lot of emphasis put on technology in all sorts of different ways. Obviously, uh, all four of you guys touch on technology quite a bit in your research. Uh, obviously, guns with the space uh, weapons and Josh with the um, the quantum stuff and, and you with the CERN and the, everybody kind of gets mixed in here. It's, it's actually uh, fascinating to me how this took so long to come about, how this wasn't the very first uh, thing that came out from all of you guys. But now I, I do have a question, which is, are there, you know, you get four guys from anywhere together and there's going to be a discussion and differing of views on certain things. Um, do you guys agree on everything you, you put in here together? Or is it a little bit of a, you know, a, a collection of scholars who uh, learn from each other and, and get to debate a little bit? There are differences. I certainly don't have like 100% agreements with everybody, um, but that's okay. I, I don't care. You know, that, that's not really sure. the point to, to, uh, have these discussions or have these partnerships to, to go into, to discuss things that we feel are important to the church, you know? And so, uh, you know, maybe that's a demonstration in itself, like, Hey, you know, yeah, there's disagreements, but we agree on enough, uh, of the centralness of the gospel and the word of God being the authority and, you know, the biblical prophecy being the truth about where things are headed and how things will unfold. Um, you sure. know, those sorts of points we agree on. And so from there we can explore, uh, some of these different things and have different opinions, uh, therein, you know, from all the different things happening in the world and analyzing mm -hmm. the stories and everything else. Um, Look, so yeah, looking through, looking through the table of contents, it looks like you guys, uh, built pretty well off of each other and have a pretty common understanding of most of the science involved, huh? Yeah, and I think there's actually, interestingly, uh, maybe Anthony, you can touch on this, but <laughs> Anthony and Doug Woodward are, you know, electric universe model folk, and Josh Peck, That's who uh, is one. not, yeah, is, uh, Josh Peck, who ha is not representing himself uh, in this discussion, is, I think, holding on to the traditional Newtonian model, or Einstein, Einsteinian mm -hmm. model, um, sure. and I'm, uh, I'm, as always, undecided, so I will, <laughs> I will break the living. tie. We're living in the matrix, huh, Gans? I am, I am not, yes, the, everything is an illusion in the end, so... Uh, it's a computer simulation, everything just, is just like ones Bank, and zeros. Uh, <laughs> Bank of America says it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, here's how I look at it. The book is well-balanced, number one. It is a balancing of our contributions and our perspectives, and we all have our own different areas of, of focus in research. And so mine is Electric Universe and CERN. Those are, in the book itself, the primary areas of focus. I also research into DNA. But the point of the book is that we have our own slices of technology that we're looking at, and also theology, especially with what Douglas brings to the, to the table. Um, Josh and I, having different points of view, 
on the physics, the basic idea, are we looking at the classical model, Einstein, Newtonian, or are we looking at the electric universe model, which is, you know, electric plasma, charged particles, and streams of, you know, Birkeland currents across the universe kind of thing. And specifically, electromagnetism versus gravity being the dominant force in the universe, holding planets to orbits and at the quantum level, answering the questions of quantum mechanics being electrical versus gravity. So the real point here, though, is that we are asking people to think critically for themselves. We put out a number of topics, and in my other books, I have put out a a buffet of scientific topics that people may not have been in, you know, uh, um, presented. They've not been exposed to. The reason for putting the topics out there, whether you're talking about in a novel, as I've done, or in an academic work like we've done here in this collaboration, is to get people to think critically. We are operating as a society, as a world of humans that have been distracted by technology, electronics, phones, movies, TV, and internet. If we can move away from those distractions and begin to think independently ourselves, think within our own minds, think within our own understanding of reality, and begin to be contrarian and think critically and ask questions on your own, and do some analysis of reality as you see it as a single person. And then, from that point, go down these rabbit holes that we often talk about in whatever areas of interest that you may have Mm -hmm. and find out for yourself your own answers. We are asking people to go on their own journeys. We're not putting forth anything in the books to say this is an absolute. We are simply saying, get away from the distractions question the way you've been educated, both theologically and academically, and question your own reality and your own definition of it and how it's being modified and whether you agree to the way it's being modified. Sure. Yeah, you know, and it's fascinating, too. I I love the fact that it's so technology-heavy because, and science-heavy especially, um, and uh, this is no, I'm not talking down to anybody here, but especially within traditional faith communities, you know, the focus on science and technology is a lot of times just not even there. And here, I mean, this book includes so many advanced concepts and some basic concepts that people may not even, I mean, there may be a listener out there, God bless them, that, uh, you know, don't have a firm hold on exactly what an Einsteinian view of the cosmos even looks like and how that differs from Tesla and or from Teslonian uh, uh, cosmology and things like that. And I'm reading through the, again, just the table of contents here, uh, which is, I'm not going to lie, how I did a lot of book reports in elementary school. Um, but it, it, it includes... <laughs> <laughs> Tell us the details. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, you have things like Tesla to the rescue. I'm just, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to go read that right after this. Um, And so not only is it going to uh, sort of encourage people to think critically, but also give them a, looks like it give them a firm understanding of some of the basic concepts and how it relates to some of the new emerging concepts coming out of uh, new science. 
which is exciting. Yeah. And it, it, go ahead, Gons. I was just going to say that, you know, some of the things that I contribute, um, the chapters that I contribute seem like crazy far out. You know, the man machine hybrid, the networked chimera awakens, um, that a little assistance from Doug on the sensation there, but, um, yeah, but for those who know you, that is not surprising. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, but it's, Sounds crazy, but some of the hard science that we're talking about leads to the kind of technology that is, for for lack of a better word, it's metaphysical. You know, it's it's kind of bending reality and it's changing the way we view things and you know, these things that, in some extent, is uh, traumatizing to the traditional human psyche. You know, in a sense, if you kind of look at modern humans or or just the history of humans, you know, we just haven't been bombarded with the kind of technology and media and, and images and entertainment, you know, the way that we are now, it definitely changes the mindset, right? It changes uh, the way we think and our psychology and stuff. So uh, that being said, the technology itself that's changing DNA now and all the genetic talk, as well as um, the folks that want, uh, you know, microchips actually in our brain, uh, things are just getting super duper weird. And I just, I wanted people to just realize that, like, you don't have to agree with everything. You don't have to agree with my take on it or anybody's take on it, but it's like, Hey, look, this is just, these are just stories I'm talking about that are out there. And this is how it relates to some of these other topics, these bigger topics, these other authors, you know, bring to the table and the biblical sort of narrative in general with this whole idea of being, you know, a supernatural uh, stage the world is getting super weird, super crazy. I just want Christians, people, but Christians especially, to be aware of it. You know, because I yeah. think they'll they'll be able to, you know, sniff out the landmine, so to speak, if they're aware <laughs> that they're there or if they're aware that to look for them, um, rather than just kind of wandering around, which I feel like a lot of folks are doing. Yeah, if nothing else, it's defense against some serious brainwashing. I'm looking at I'm looking at this uh, section here. The Divine Council and You. I'd like to print that out in brochure form and just kind of <laughs> plant plant it in church lobbies across the country. I think I actually I think came be. up with that. Basil, Basil, you bring up a good point. You were talking about in church, technology is not even discussed. Right. And yet, what does every parishioner have in their pocket? I'm I'm hoping the answer is a cell phone. <laughs> Yes. An e-phone, e-phone or iPhone? Yeah, whichever it is, or a chip in their head. Yeah, oh, geez, geez. But that's, yeah. that's that's the reality is, is that we go into church, and technology for the most part is not discussed in terms of how it's changing the world, how it's changing our reality, how it's affecting us psychologically, mm-hmm. and how it's impacting our spiritual being and our spirituality and our view and our relationship with Jesus Christ. Right. It's not even discussed, and yet you carry it around, you step out of church, and the first thing you do is flip that phone on and you check your messages. Yeah, and you're you're on un- you're under the the assumption that it, they had turned it off in the first place and weren't just playing Candy Crush the whole time. That's um, right. But the yeah, juxtaposition you know, is crazy. The juxtaposition well, and it's fascinating too because I've been in congregations actually uh, across the country. This is I've seen the same thing, which is, uh, and I'm talking about the United States for our international listeners. Um, 
I, I've been in congregations that do bring up technology or technologies mentioned or cell phones are mentioned and things like this. And it's always the same, which is, you know, there's, there's never critical thinking. It's always, uh, cell phones are nice because you can have the, I don't know why I do that accent. I should really stop. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You cell are going to get us in so much trouble. I know. I'm sorry. It's right. it's my Cali- it's my California upbringing. Your, your California um, brainwashing. Go ahead. I know it is. Thank you. Um, so you know, cell phones are nice because uh, you can have the Bible on them, but you know, everything else is evil on them. You know, <laughs> Instagram hashtags are evil. Uh, you know, and if not evil, you won't find salvation in Instagram. Right. And, and it's, if not evil, it is certainly an, an obstacle to salvation. And right. yeah, I mean, sh- sure, there is certainly ways to look at it that, that come to that conclusion. But there's a lot more to technology than just cell phones. I mean, I could, again, I could just read down this table of contents. Um, but like you said, I think thinking critically about the technology, about the science, thinking critically about scientific discoveries being made basically on a daily basis nowadays, um, being up to date on those things, A, is going to prepare you for the future when the new crazy things come out and you have to decide how that fits into your uh, not only worldview, but just your practical life. And, you know, where the good stops and the bad ends or vice versa and or if you can uh, use the knowledge and the critical thinking skills to resist, again, what I think is the most dangerous part of not knowing about these things, which is being brainwashed by, uh, you know, even just the mainstream media. I talked about it earlier in this discussion, Anthony, I'm not sure if you were in at this point, but when you hear the news talking about the Russian hacks or just hacking in general, it is so obtuse the way that they talk about it. And they just take words that sound fancy and scary and put them all together to make us think that the Russians are trying to affect our uh, elections. When in fact, if you know, if you know the details, if you know how hacking even works, you know, the exact same, uh, uh, signifiers that, for instance, the hacking in Arizona, where the uh, I believe the Democrats or the uh, election um, people were saying, "Oh, we're we're the Russians are trying to hack us. The Russians are trying to hack us." And without without getting too complicated, I could look at the 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 metadata of my own email account, anybody's email account, and you'll see hundreds of attempts to hack every day. From all over the world. I mean, it's, it's just how the internet works. But when you don't know how that works, it's very easy to be scared um, when people start throwing out terms like hacking and most of all, Russians, the scariest term of all. <laughs> We've come full circle. Yeah. Again, it's to, it's to divide people. It's to get them to fight with one another, whether you're talking about in the cities of our country right now or even other cities around the world, the divide the division, the conflict. It's to get us to fight amongst each other. That's the thing that's going on here. And you really, you know, you hit on a a major point, and that is the psychology of what's going on, the brainwashing. You know, you have to know enough to ask the right questions. If you're going to be thinking critically, you need to have a starting point. You need to have topics presented to you 
that pique your interest, and then you can begin to have enough information to ask the right questions. But if you don't even know what the topic is, if you don't even have the awareness that you're being gamed, as I call it, psychologically, and we can talk about Mandela, we can talk about Pokemon, whatever, but you go down the list of the psychological operations, this whole dialogue, this discourse about us versus the Russians and cyber attacks, it just plays into that whole psychological operation of instilling fear in the population. If you instill the fear and then you present the solution, people will welcome you with open arms, just like the people in Boston did at the Boston Marathon bombing. And then they allowed their city to be to, you know, put under martial law, and they were clapping and cheering the fact that they were under martial law. Now, that's a psychological operation. Right. Yeah. Precisely. You know, and just as a side point, what I love is uh, all this talk about Russia should not be or any one uh, nation should not be interfering with the electoral process of any other nation. This is just ridiculous. And, you know, it's just the most hilarious thing coming from the United States government, which pretty much has made a habit of uh, intentionally affecting the electoral processes of countries all over the world. Um but I'll just leave that there. Go Google it, people. Oh, um, by the way, Google again, Google's locking down too with all their uh, trend stuff, you know, or or not their trend stuff, but a uh, fact check. Uh, right. All right. Well, now you're going to have Google putting little verified symbols next to articles and links so that they can tell you that it's been fact checked and it's all true. Yeah. None of this Elvis the is still alive moon landing nonsense. Yeah. Oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Anyways, don't, anyway. don't even get me fired up, Anthony. Sorry. <laughs> sorry to. Sorry to There's have interrupted. There's just so much there. going on. We just we. I, I feel like I think a lot of us are feeling this way, where it's like we're we're sort of spilling over, and we just want to go on a podcast and just blah all the right. craziness we're, going we're on gonna, in the world. We're gonna we're gonna hit a lot of that in the next uh, Canary Cry News Talk. So yeah. Um. Okay, Anthony. I'm sorry to have interrupted. Do you have something bur- <laughs> burning behind your tongue there? No, I just really want to emphasize the whole psychological operation concept, because in order to control people, you have to control their minds. Now, you can do that through hardware. You can do that through technology, chip implants, microwaves, whatever you want to get into the discussion of. But Really, it's important that people realize that there's a game afoot, and that is that you're being played. You're being manipulated. And that's where your critical thinking gives you the ability to fight back against psychological operations. Primary example is if you observe something going on in a city that's a civil disturbance, and you have to look at the players, the two sides, and then you have to ask yourself, How did those two sides become two sides? What's motivating those two camps? And then who perhaps is behind pushing those two groups into each Mm -hmm. other's faces Mm -hmm. and causing the conflict? And to what end, to what purpose is that conflict? Now, just the conflict itself is enough because you get into fear-based manipulation. But then you pull back even further to the bigger picture and you say, if you're creating that conflict and you're creating the fear, What are you going to do with that? How are you going to manipulate people in what direction? And that's what's going on is deception and manipulation of people. It's all about control. It's all about fooling people into believing that 
their respective governments, or as we're now at a one world government, that the globalists have our best interest in, in, at heart. And whether you're talking about advances in DNA modification, transhumanism, artificial intelligence, even the portal opening, if you can convince people through fear-based manipulation that the one world government and the one world leader, the Antichrist, whether he comes from Germany or whoever, wherever he comes from, that he has the solution and that he has the, the miracles and wonders to demonstrate those solutions to those people that are now so scared that they will welcome with open arms those signs and wonders, those miracles, and say, finally, I don't have to worry about things anymore. Finally, I can get back to living my life and not be afraid all the time. And that's right. the control. That's where they set it up and say, okay, here's your new life. Here's your new reality. Right. Yeah. You look at Revelation 13, and it's crazy because there's an element here that I think people miss, and that's this notion that the dragon is the one stood on the shore of the sea, right? And this, uh, there's a different interpretation there some say that it was john standing there on the the sea and, and the shore of the sea and so there's different takes on that because of the chapter break which isn't normally there it's added later so it confuses what was really going on there but in any case the point i was trying to make was that when the beast rises out the dragon is the one that gives the uh, the authority to the beast and so who is this dragon is it just a just a spiritual uh you know a metaphorical allegorical description of satan giving authority to the the antichrist and beast system or are we talking about a, a literal sort of public kind of thing and i would argue that it is a public thing where a dragon what's well, described as a dragon in the bible which i think could have something to do with um the et deception concept tying into the whole thing but later you know it, during the second beast you know the after he heals the first beast the mortal head wound he's the one that's performing you know miracles calling fire down from heaven and he's the one that deploys the mark of the beast and you know has the worship of the image of the beast built and all that stuff so in that process the people worship the dragon so the dragon is public which is really interesting to me because you look at revelation 12 like you mentioned uh anthony and you know, uh, there's some interesting um, astrological alignments that are happening next year in September 2017 that allude to the, um, you know, a similar celestial pattern that's described in Revelation 12. And, you know, um, actually, Dr. Michael Heiser talked about it recently, and he doesn't ascribe to it, although he does uh, find it interesting. But, you know, uh, do you see some of that, Anthony, with, you know, just the, the pattern of um, this dragon, an arrival of <laughs> something, some some entity that is worshipped by all uh, as being all-powerful, and he's the one that gives the throne, the authority to a human being, which will uh, rise to become called the Antichrist, and then also the second beast that uh, you know we know as the false prophet. Well, this is just my interpretation, and there are scholars that can counter this or define it even better than I can, but I've always assumed that the dragon was Satan himself and that he gives power to the beast, because the power has to come from the source, and the source is Satan. So I don't know what you think about that, but... Well, that's, yeah, that's, actually, what I'm, yeah. that's, that's actually what I'm saying, because it later says okay. that you know, Satan, the dragon is Satan, right? He's a serpent. He's 
it, it describes that in other parts of uh, the book of Revelation. Um, but what I'm saying is that there is a public acknowledgement, a public worship of the dragon. The people worship the dragon. Mm. So, so mm. is this, is it going to be an open satanic? We all worship Satan. Like, <laughs> is that what it's well, coming to? Or sure. uh, I, you I think it's agree. that bold? Look at, look at the Gothard tunnel ceremony. Baphomet. That's true. That's true. They were worshiping with representatives of other nations in attendance, worshiping Baphomet. We see that in the Super Bowl halftime scenarios where they're worshiping Baphomet. Yes, I agree. I, you know, it, as, as horrible as it sounds, <clears throat> to imagine ourselves, and, you know, we as Christians, myself as a Christian, this is hard to even say, but to even think of the concept of worshiping Baphomet in physical form as the dragon, it's it just, it's like, why would I be so stupid? And yet the deception the psychological operations, the manipulations of people, popular culture. You see this with the Gothard Tunnel. You see this with the football halftime events. You see this with, um, you know, musical concerts around the world that are going on. All of this stuff is playing into worshiping Satan himself in physical form. But again, that's how deceived people have been and how they've been manipulated to think that evil is good. And it says that in Scripture in these last days, that evil will be worshipped as something that is good. Yep. Wow. That's very true. Yes, sir. Now, I'd like to take a step back and go back to your book real quick. Um, You know, with all the, the benefits that come with critical thinking, um, I've just got to ask, where did the name Revising Reality come from? I think it came from Doug, didn't it, Gons? <laughs> it came it from Doug. It did. Doug's he, fault. Doug's fault for this one. And I think there was another, it was either going to be Revising Reality or Reality re, revise, Revisited, or I don't know, some, something, something along those lines. I think we threw around a couple names, but... I think the idea here, the the bigger picture is exactly that, revising reality in that, you know, looking at reality and questioning it. Now, you know, the, the whole, you know, ball or pancake conversation has really thrown like the ultimate deep well on some of these topics, right? Of like revising your reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of, I feel like that's sort of broken the, I don't know the, I don't want to say the integrity, but there's a certain level of responsibility maybe is the right word that I feel like needs to uh, be restored in a sense. I think we've tried to do that in this and not, that's not to denounce anybody that's um, written books on those topics or made videos. Um, Certainly we have. So, you know, denouncing ourselves if in, in that respect, if you want to call it that, but there's a certain level of unhinging our reality, unhinging kind of what we have always been taught and there's a suspense there. There's sort of a thrill there. Um, and people get addicted to the feeling of that. And I don't want people to think like this is, this is just for that feeling. You know, this is actually mm-hmm. critical thought. There is a thoughtful consideration of the information, consideration of the uh, reports of others, of uh, scholarship of others, and, and built just, you know, another sort of 
uh, you know, a piece of the track, so to speak, that, that leads in this greater discussion about how theology, how our Christian worldview, uh, relates to some of the scientific discoveries that are being published and, you know, being announced and, and sort of, you know, be, be the, a guiding hand, so to speak, to those who are just completely overwhelmed by these topics or, you know, think that there's a connection there with the scripture and the word, but, you know, not quite sure where the data points might be. So, but in, in general, it's sort of an invitation to suspend your disbelief in, you know, in a sort of science fiction kind of way, but then realize that a lot of science fiction is now science fact. So, I don't know. Does that answer your question, Basil? Yeah. 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 Well, and it, it also brings up uh, more questions. <laughs> but, I mean, you make a great point. I actually really enjoyed uh, that part where you, you talked about the addictive nature of science. Uh, questioning reality and i think it's important to bring up because you know i think we've all experienced or we've all uh known somebody who just really latches on to maybe a new controversial subject subject or a new sort of cosmology shattering uh discovery or something Dude, like that I, I walked around for like you know this i walked around for like a month every day i walked outside and i couldn't get over the fact that we might live on a flat pancake. Like I couldn't, I couldn't get over it. I was like, Oh my gosh, this, what is good? This, this is all, this has all been a lie. It's, you know, and it, it, I obsessed over it for, you know, a couple weeks. Right. Uh, but then I realized like, Ooh, this is, this is not healthy. <laughs> this is not a right. good, well, it, whatever the, the reality of that topic is for me personally, it was not a healthy thing to uh, be in that. But anyway, go on. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, and it can come in all sorts of shapes and sizes with all sorts of different pieces of information. Right, right. And, you know, and, and, and you got to be careful because if you start latching on to new things just because they're new and they're, and they're, uh, inflammatory or, or contradictory to the s standard model of whatever you're talking about, um, you know, if to be a contrarian just for the fact of being a contrarian is actually the opposite of critical thinking. That's an addiction. Yeah. It's almost it's almost a chemical addiction to the, you know what happens in your brain when it gets <laughs> blown. Um, right. That that shot so, of uh, of uh, uh, what is it? Um, I don't know, adrenaline or something. All sorts of all, all sorts of stuff going on up there. Endorphin. It's an endorphin, endorphin release. Yeah, right. Or Absolutely. Release. Absolutely. Dopamine. Thank you. That's so the thinking. so the importance of critical thinking is goes both ways, and I think that's very important to remember. You have to maintain a balance. And for me, the balance, because, yes, I can definitely, I mean, you look at how long I've been talking about CERN. And, you know, it's ridiculous. It's like, okay, does the guy talk about anything else? Why is everything sent <laughs> to CERN? Okay. So, yeah, I can be pointed at and said, yeah, he's that guy that has done that. And he is, you know, fallen for that, into that trap. But to balance that, is to go to scripture and is to go to prayer and to have the Holy Spirit guide and reveal the things in his exquisite timing, as I call it, the things that he wants to reveal to me. It doesn't make me a prophet. I'm a servant. I serve at the bidding and at the whim of Jesus Christ. And I've given over my entire soul and life to him willingly because he's my creator. So with that said, you have to balance that out. You can have this gee whiz factor and, and this dopamine release thing that's going on, like a marathon runner, you know, breaking through the wall 
and having that endorphin release. And that's why you become addicted to running, for example. The point here is that I could run off half-cocked with all kinds of new discoveries. And I have emails that I subscribe to that pump in new information about technology from a host of areas. And it is. It's dazzling. And it's gee whiz factor. And it's, wow, look at what I've discovered kind of nonsense. But it's not about me. It is about the Lord is saying, you need to get the word out to people about how they're being deceived and how they're being manipulated and challenge people to be a good Burean. Now, I'm not saying pronouncing that properly. What is the word, Gons? A good Berean. Am I saying that properly? Yeah, a Berean, yeah. Yeah. In other words, study it for yourself. Study the scriptures. Just because a preacher or some guy like me says, hey, it's this way and it's that way and, you know, everything's terrible or everything's wonderful. No, you be a critical thinker. You break out the Bible or you break out the scientific research documents and you verify it yourself. And you come to your own conclusions about your reality and what's going on. And so when we talk about this revising reality idea, we have to think about it two ways. How your reality is being put upon you, how it's being influenced by outside forces, and concurrently, and 180 degrees, as I like to say, the other direction is, what are you doing to influence your reality? What are you Mm. using between your ears to influence your view of your life, your environment, and how you view reality? So it's coming at you, but I'm challenging people to go the other direction and influence your view of reality by being a good Berean and going to Scripture and going to other research to do that. Yeah, certainly. Having having a, a say in your own discovery of the universe is a pretty important uh, facet, and not just having it spoon-fed to you, because uh, like the uh, Google fact check, you can't just believe whoever's telling you what. And that includes me, let me tell you. Um, anyways, I, that's fascinating. I'm glad that the conversation went there, because I think it's very important um, for pe- for all people, but I, I would hope... Uh, you know, I just love our listeners so much. I want them to, to to hear that, and I think most of them already live that way. But anyhow, uh, Anthony Patch, Gans Shimura, um, is there any other burning topics you'd like to hit before we start wrapping up the show here? Gans, go ahead. I'll finish it up. Um, I want to know. I want to know what the hidden unseen chapter by basil rosewater uh was about oh yeah that's <laughs> i should just start <laughs> slipping chapters into everybody's books um because i i get people talking to me all the time about why i'll why am i not writing any books and everybody else is yeah and that's i don't have a good answer i i will say this um there was a awesome forward written by stan deo and um yeah it, it yeah. really I mean, I was kind of blown away at when I read the forward. It was just so well done. It's it's concise. It's not very long, but it's uh, you know Standeo showing his uh, sort of uh, veteran leadership, so to speak, in the, in the community here of researchers and sort of giving the uh, the book a little bit extra umph, you know, credibility, so to speak, uh, from a guy like Standeo. So that was really cool for him to do that. Um, Definitely. So, so if, if Basil has a hidden unseen chapter, it's actually the foreword by Stan Deo. 
I won't, I won't say how that happened. Uh, there might have been some quantum entanglement. Yeah, there you go. You took it right out of yeah. my mouth. There you go. <laughs> it was. It was quantum entanglement. <laughs> Definitely. I got to hang out with you guys more often. Yeah, you give me a lot of credit. I like this. Um, all right, Anthony, take us out, buddy. What do you got? Well, I'll tell you where my research is going, and this will be in um, volume two. Um, numbers, specifically mm -hmm. the model numbers of D-Way's computers. And I'm going to throw a number out for people to go and research on their own. Because this number corresponds to the number of qubits and to the number of tubulin dimmers, tubulin dimmers within the human neurons of our brain. There are 65,536 tubular dimmers in our each neuron of our brain. Each tubulin, I'll shorten it down, each tubulin is equivalent to one qubit. There are 65,536 qubits within each tubulin that makes up our neurons. In other words, 65,000 tubulin qubits makes up one neuron in our brain. Now, the reason that I mentioned that one tubulin is equivalent to a qubit is because that is what I call quantum biology. Mm -hmm. I am going to release the information between now and the time volume two comes out, and there'll be more in volume two, certainly by that time, we're hoping in March, that proves that the pinnacle of quantum computer development today, existing today, is a quantum computer that completely, down at the quantum level, mimics a human brain. In fact, the human brain is built the way that this biologically constructed quantum computer is built. They're one and the same. The mimic, it's not just a mirror, it is a clone of how the neurons are constructed and of what material the neurons are constructed. C60 carbon. Therefore, we have in existence an AI sentient quantum computer that is biological. It's not made of metal. It's not of superconducting metals. It is of biological material, C60 carbon. And I'll leave it right there. Ooh, doggy. That's all right. Well, you guys are just going to have to wait for that one. I hear brains uh, exploding everywhere. I know. I know. I I feel it. I feel it in my own brain. All 65,537 tubular dinners. <laughs> yeah. Well, Anthony Patch, that's that's going to be fantastic. And uh, I'm assuming we're going to get the first call when you're ready to uh, release that information. And we're going to love to have you. Very good. Thank you. Why don't, why don't you remind people where they can uh, find your books and find your information and keep up with you? Uh, AnthonyPatch.com. Real simple. Everything's right there. That's very good. I like that a lot. Well, Anthony Patch, thanks again for coming on the show, buddy. It's been a huge pleasure, and uh, I can't wait to keep up with you as we go. And where, uh, Gantz, where can everybody uh, buy Revising Reality? Amazon.com, just type in Revising Reality, and uh, I think we are, and maybe I will just pull it up 
to give you the react. Uh, uh, I'm screwing this up. That's uh, okay. <laughs> we're in. We're in cosmology. We're right in there with the Carl Sagan's and that yeah, ilk, and it that's, varies. That, that's what I was going to try to. I think we're okay. It looks like we're ranked number nineteen in astronomy and space science uh, under cosmology, theology and eschatology, and physics and cosmology. So we're sort of, you know, we're trying to make a little noise in the um, official science world, you know. Throwing, well, a little, yes. throwing a little wrench into their whole party. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Everybody make sure to go check that out on Amazon.com, Revising Reality. Again, uh, Anthony Patch, thanks for being here, buddy. Hey, my pleasure, and thank you guys for the conversation. And uh, you thank betcha. you to uh, Doug Woodward as well, who was here earlier. Yes, indeed. You're welcome, guys. <laughs> Gosh, that, that was Doug. All right, everybody, make sure you go check out and buy the book. Do all the stuff you know you need to do. Open your mind. Start thinking critically. And uh, while you're at it, go on iTunes and uh, give us a rating and a review. Canary Cry Radio. We, we need to keep those reviews and ratings coming. It really helps uh, the iTunes robots actually share Canary Cry Radio. So if you think any of the information in this podcast is important, please do that. Uh, you can leave us some stars and some comments and let everybody know. Let everybody know why it's so important to listen to Canary Cry Radio. Also, go check us out on Facebook. Uh, like the page. I know there's a, a number of you out there who are not on Facebook. So you need to go sign up. Get on the Facebook. Get on the grid, man. You give all your information to the CIA and Mark Zuckerberg, who are just out to... <laughs> Or don't. But if you already are on the Facebook, go give Canary Cry Radio. He's out to Mark of the Beast Dust. Wait, I said that wrong. Mark of the Beast Dust. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so go do that. And <laughs> <laughs> No, don't go do that. Ah, Basil. Anyways. Aww. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for listening to this episode of Canary Cry Radio. Make sure to tune in next time. But until you do, think, think outside, outside the cage. cage.